Welcome to Waypoints, the podcast of fly fishing travel, with helpful travel tips, news and events, destination profiles, great stories, and expert advice from seasoned and experienced traveling anglers. This is your backstage pass to the world of fishing travel. Waypoints is fueled by adventure and brought to you by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing, a hands-on specialty travel and booking company that delivers the industry's very best insider knowledge, logistical support, and trip preparation. Freshwater or saltwater, international or domestic, Yellow Dog has you covered. And now your host, Yellow Dog founder and director, Jim Klug. The Grammy-winning bluegrass band Steep Canyon Rangers began playing together as students at the University of North Carolina. Since their formation in 2000, the band has been an integral part of the Asheville, North Carolina music scene and an absolute force in the national bluegrass scene. The band won a 2012 Grammy for Best Bluegrass Album, and their recordings have routinely topped the Billboard Bluegrass charts for more than a decade. Oftentimes compared to legends like The Band, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and Zach Brown, the Steep Canyon Rangers have become one of the most recognizable names in modern bluegrass music. Nobody forgot when you went away You left this town without a word to say Going down south to a simple life The band's co-founder, guitarist, lead vocalist, and contributing songwriter is Woody Platt, an incredible musician, seasoned fly fishing guide, and lifelong angler. Woody, welcome to Waypoints, and thanks for joining us. Oh, hello, Jim. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be talking to you tonight. Well, man, it's great to have you on the show. You know, we've done several dozen episodes of this podcast, and I'm pretty sure that you're the first Grammy-winning musician we've had on the show, so we're, we're stoked to have you. <laughs> well, I love I love hearing anybody say Grammy Award winner when they're talking about me. I just, just I can't believe it happened, and it's fun to it's fun to have that title. I'll tell you what, it never gets old, does it? it never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> well, how are things in North Carolina these days? I mean, your your summer this year has been a little different than normal, but hopefully uh, you're finding some more time to get out on the water and fish. Yeah, I'd say different is an understatement. It's uh you know for the last fifteen years or so. Our summers were chasing the festivals, you know, just just in the bus, um, running as fast as we could to every festival we could find, and and all of a sudden, uh, in March, you know, as as it did for everybody else, we were in Ireland, and the lights went out for us. So we've um, had no work, and uh, you know, so that's that's kept me home. But the silver lining of that is that I've been able to be with my family, and have been in the river constantly so fishing is back in the forefront of my life right now which is pretty exciting well there are silver linings for sure and you know so you were born and raised in brevard right which is a small town in in the southern appalachian mountains how how did you first find your way to fly fishing woody and and how old were you when you kind of got the bug you know i was yeah i was born in brevard brevard's a little uh small mountain town just southwest of Asheville, north carolina and we have a ridiculous amount of trout stream for for this part of the country. We have over 300 miles of trout stream sort of woven into our, our county. And as a kid, I was a fishing nut as a kid. And I sort of just um, started like a lot of kids do, you know, just fishing for panfish off a dock. But as soon as I got into elementary school, I fell in love with the streams. And so I can remember... As a young kid, having my mom take me up to the hatchery-supported sections of the Davidson River. And a lot of people in the country are aware of the Davidson River. It's it's a blue ribbon trout stream and gets a lot of uh, recognition kind of nationally. But uh, my mom would drop me off, and I would just fish the hatchery waters down and across with a little kernel of corn and a split shot. <laughs> and I just fell in love. And she'd pick me up, and I'd usually have a stringer fish. And I just fell in love with trout and with streams and with the whole process. And around sixth or seventh grade, I had her take me up to the fly fishing section. And I found an old Fenwick um, fiberglass rod 
reels, you know, just noodle of a rod and a Fluger reel in my dad's closet and had barely had some like flies from the basically place like grocery store flies. <laughs> and I, my mom dropped me off at the river and on my way down to, to walk down to the trail, this old guy was coming up and he just kind of, I guess, sensed my um, skill level and just filled my hands with flies that were working. He was like, this is what they're hitting. He was just dropping all these drop flies in my hands. And, you know, I didn't probably had like, I probably didn't even have a spool of tippet or a, le- a proper leader, but he filled me up with flies and something about that moment. Just, I was just obsessed with the, with the idea of catching a trout on a fly in the woods in a stream. And, and I've been chasing it ever since. That's a pretty cool story. And, and it just goes to show what like such a simple action on the part of somebody that knows the game and knows what they're doing. He encounters you, has that brief interaction, gives you some flies. And I mean, right there, total game changer. Total game changer. You know, in, in North Carolina, we, you know, we're out here in the West and of course, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, it gets the lion's share of attention when it comes to destinations. But a lot of people don't realize what a, a true trout mecca North Carolina is. I mean, you guys have some insane fishing out there. Yeah, we've got some great water and, and we, and relatively, um, underappreciated and, and I kind of like that, you know, cause I, I can still just climb into a stream. I went today for most of the day on a trip and didn't see another angler, you know, so there's still that potential and I, I enjoy that. Um, and we have a lot, there's a lot of great trout water. I mean, there's a lot of great fly fishing on the East coast, you know, obviously first thing I wanted to do when I got a chance to travel was go to Montana, but, um, you know, coming home to these, these, old southern Appalachian mountains and climbing through these streams is that's a lot of fun well home waters are, are powerful there's no doubt about it and it's you true. know you, you started at a young age and then also at a fairly young age you actually started guiding for a local shop that had kind of sprung up in your area and you know that's a that's a good time to kind of get into the game when it comes to guiding and you started early on that that route as well yeah you know it was really neat just just being a my reputation for the love of it, I, I, I got pretty good. I started you know, at around sixth, seventh grade. So by the time I was in high school, in high school, I was known as a fly fisherman. And there wasn't a lot, that, a huge population of fly fishermen here, and there wasn't a shop. And when the first shop opened right at my senior year in high school, uh, they called me and just said, you know, would you do our guiding? And when you're not guiding, would you just work the counter at the shop? And this is a real p- small little pared down thing at the beginning. It's, it's developed over the years into quite a shop. But um, I got the call, and and so I learned how to guide people. And it was something I always loved to do was take people fishing. I still much rather – I much enjoy watching somebody else uh, catch a fish than me. You know, something about it. I just love sharing the experience. And um, so I fell in love with guiding, and I kind of hung on to it ever since. You know, even – through college and through the band's uh, travels and success, I've sort of always kept a few guys that I consider like longtime clients in my back pocket. And when I have time, I just, I keep messing with it. That's gotta be kind of cool for your longtime clients. You're like, uh, yeah, hold on. Let me set my Grammy down real quick so I can re-rig your, <laughs> your setup for you. But <laughs> not a lot of people could say that. Well, so you're, you're post-college, you've been guiding through college, and you're just about to completely ruin your life by jumping into fly fishing full-time, like so many of us have ruined our lives, and then all of a sudden, music pops up, and there's this, this lure of the stage and the open road, and, and you kind of change directions a little bit on that. And, and you guys started Steep Canyon Rangers while in college, and from from what I've read about kind of the early days of the band, this was not exactly like the coming together of seasoned and experienced bluegrass legends at the time. I mean, you guys kind of all started playing instruments together and kind of all learning together. Yeah, it's true. And uh, there's several layers to that question. But the, the the reason we're still together is because our band was born out of friendship. It wasn't a bunch of guys coming together that were like hotshot musicians. It was a bunch of guys that were enjoyed being together and the music grew out of that. And that's what I'm so proud of. And that's why we've been able to keep this band rolling for so long. But yeah, we were in, it was my senior year in college, our senior year in college. And we had all been friends the whole time and it played like zero music together. We all were sort of closet 
had closet musical interests, but it was never jam sessions or anything. And I was supposed to do a study abroad thing my senior year, first semester in Africa. And it was just some idea I had. And at the last minute, I couldn't go because of some medication that I was taking that couldn't guarantee to be stayed to, to be kept cool. And so we decided I wouldn't go. So I showed back up at Chapel Hill with a backpack and a guitar looking for some classes and uh, a place to live. And I found a place to live with my friend Charles. And that afternoon, Graham came over, our banjo player, and Charles, who was our bass player for until two years ago, um, just got their instruments out. And I'd throw my backpack down in this room because I was going to start renting. And I got my guitar out, and we had a jam thumbing through of just a bluegrass songbook, three-chord bluegrass book, singing songs that we know, old hymns that you might know that you've heard you throughout your life or some Doc Watson tune that you knew because we're, we're kind of in Doc Watson territory here. And, and um, long, you know, long story short, I couldn't believe how much fun it was. I was just blown away. I was like, this is as much fun as I've had standing in a circle with, with other people and maybe in my life. And I was just obsessed. I moved in. I took that room and, and sort of the rest is history. We, we could barely make it to class. We just played and played and played and played and studied and listened to all the old bluegrass and just got deeper and deeper into it and found a couple young music students that played fiddle and mandolin and invited them over to our apartment and just kept playing and, and, you know, one thing led to another, and here comes graduation. And I get the call from the fly shop that I've always planned on going back to be the head guy and shop manager kind of guy. And I remember where I was standing when he called me and even wrote me the letter with the salary, a proper salary, you know. And I just turned it down. I just was like, you know, I just, I just love this, this music thing. I, I got to chase this for a little while. And now, 20 years later, I've, I've, I've been chasing it. Well, and, and it's been a hell of a 20 years. I mean, what started is, is, you know, an apartment of friends sitting around, you know, having a session. You know, 20 years later, you guys have 10 or so albums. You've, you've won a Grammy. You have more Grammy nominations on top of that. You're all over the bluegrass charts on a regular basis. You know, when you think back to those, those early days of, of hanging out with those friends and, and, you know, reading that three chord bluegrass book, I mean, did you guys ever think that, that all of this would happen? Not even close. And, and, you know, we always had this habit uh, somehow of reaching goals before we even made them goals. Like, you know, at first it was, you know, we might have had a few goals like well, maybe we could play at that open mic night down the street or maybe we could play at a couple of the bars on Franklin Street. And by the time we were hitting those goals, we were already getting, uh, you know, getting record contracts and things with local record labels and and national record labels and things just kept coming at us. And uh, before you know it, we were running around playing these festivals and being recognized as like emerging artists on the bluegrass scene. And and what we did then was just dive headfirst into the traditional bluegrass world. I mean, we, we put on suits and ties and we studied the music of Flatten Scruggs and Bill Monroe and the Stanley Brothers and Jimmy Martin. And we just ran at it as hard as we could. And we knew what we wanted to get and we just, we couldn't get enough of it. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, we've since branched our music way away from that, but not until we stayed there for a long time. Well, and established yourselves. I mean, you guys have literally become legends in the bluegrass world. And, you know, one of the key elements, as you said, to being successful in that business is, is touring and playing the festivals and really, you know, like you said, summer season comes around, you get on the bus and you go and, and you're just playing all over the place. And you've been able to use touring uh, as a way, not just to play in front of crowds and share your music with people, but as a way to fish some pretty incredible waters around the country and, and abroad. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, I always, that was always in my back pocket. We never, we never jumped on an airplane or jumped in a bus, right? I didn't have, my stuff so i was ready and um you know our bass player charles for a long time was our in i keep saying charles he was our bass player until just a few years ago barrett is currently our bass player for everybody listening is confused in there and then they want to talk about barrett but anyway um charles humphrey our original bass player used to always introduce me on stage as a fly fishing guide 
or a passionate fly fisherman, whatever kind of came out as at my as my introduction. And that was a great calling card because whoever I mean, think about it, if you're in the audience and you've seen a band you're digging their music and you're a serious fly fisherman and they introduce the lead singer, guitar player as a serious fly fisherman, you want to take them fishing. Yeah, you want to share your, <laughs> you want to show them your local water. That's what I would do. Guys are throwing their you know? guide cards at you, being like, "Hey, man, let's fish tomorrow." And that happened. Yeah, the whole time. So I took every, I took all the up, everybody up on those offers, and uh, really enjoyed it. And and I still do. You know, we it's that. So that was really fun. And there's nothing better, as you know, than local knowledge. So you know, you can go to whatever town or city or stream you're nearby and and, and fish it. And by the time you get it figured out, it's time to go. But if you go with somebody, a guide or just a local serious fly fisherman, you just just end up where you need to be quicker. And once you get there, you know, it's new half the time. It's just finding the right stretch at the right time. And uh, so we, we took, we took advantage of that and we still do, you know, just got back from Australia, went to Australia uh, late last year and fished over there. Just kind of, I'm constantly fishing wherever I can. I don't, I don't get to do it like you do, but, but, um, I get to get to mash it in with the tour quite often. Well, and you know, Woody, that's, that's the perfect fit though, because in my mind, bluegrass seems to be kind of the unofficial official music of fly fishing, right? I mean, if there is a, a genre that, that meshes up with fly fishing, it's clearly bluegrass and, and any guide or, or hardcore angler you meet, I mean, you say, Hey, what do you want to do at the end of a perfect day? They're like, I want to go to my favorite bar, hang out with my buddies and listen to live bluegrass. I mean, it seems kind of ubiquitous for, for this sport. And, you know, there's so many fans in the fishing world that obviously follow you guys and, and love the music. Yeah, you know it's it's so true. There there is it, it's something about the lifestyle, the the people who want to do one thing appreciate a similar thing. I don't know. It's something about lifestyle. I've had so many interviews where people are like, you know, connect the music and the fishing to me. You know, connect it. And I always take it back to the people. You know, it's just to me, it's the people and the people that love this kind of music, it strikes them in a way and they tend to have this, a, you know, similar interest in the outdoors and those kind of things. But, you know, in the end, when people say, what does fly fishing do to inspire your music? It really just clears your head, you know, when you're out there and just puts you in a different place. So yeah. when you get back to the music, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do that again. It's sort of like a, a reset button when I get in a stream. Now that's well said. We, uh, years ago, we, we became pretty good friends with, with Larry Keel and his wife, Jenny and their band. And it was all same thing through fly fishing. And it was literally one of those things we were at a show. Uh, they, I think they mentioned fly fishing on stage and next thing you know, we're out fishing with these guys and, and they've been friends since. And it's just, it's this great connector. And, and those two, two elements, fly fishing and bluegrass just go hand in hand. It's, it's amazing what a, what a fit that is. Yeah, and I'm jealous you've got a fish with Larry Keel. I've always wanted to. We text about it a lot. We talk about it a lot. I even invited him recently if he was moving around this part of the state to come see me, but we still haven't been on a stream together, and I can't wait to host him on my home waters. Well, he's a fishing fool. I'm sure he'll he'll find his way there, no doubt. And I know <laughs> that uh, you've talked in the, in the past about how this early friendship and, and you know the band members that you've been together for these 20 years, you, you know, some of the guys in the band with you also love to fish. So you guys have been able to share that passion together. Yeah, we have, you know, uh, Graham, our banjo player and, and co-founder of the band and, and one of my best friends in the entire world. Um, is just, uh, he's just Mr. Natural. You know, he's, he's not the guy that's going to show up with a large collection of flies and he might forget his rod and his, or his, or his reel might not be in the bag or he might only have one boot. <laughs> but when you get him all suited up and you put him in the stream and I taught him from scratch at college, we would, uh, when I was running the shop, I sold a, like a St. Croix Imperial graphite, like real simple pack rod to his mom for him for Christmas. And he, he still shows up with it. But when you get him in the stream and put him on the fish, he just, Mr. Natural, you know, he's, he's great. He can make it happen. You look over and he's, he's being drugged down the stream by a fish. So, He's he's uh he's my partner in crime when we're traveling. If I, if there's room for another, or I always invite him when I meet somebody, and it always depends on how he's feeling or 
if he's going to write songs or play banjo during the day or go with me on the stream. But but uh, having having somebody that you're traveling with that can join you for those adventures is fun because you know there's a there's something to be said about solitude on a trial stream or when you're doing anything in the outdoors and there's also something to be said about sharing it uh, with somebody else that you love and I love I really enjoy the camaraderie of a of a two man fishing trip where you sort of trade on fish instead of split up I'll see you at the car. I like to just work through a stream with somebody. Um, something about that I just really enjoy. Now that that's a great way to fish. We we always refer to that as baseball, and you get two guys and one rod, and you just kind of work your way up the stream, and you take turns, and it's like all right, you know, three strikes, you're out, and it's the next guy's turn, and and you just you share the water, and you kind of work your way up together, and it's it's such a great way to fish, no doubt. Yeah, I love that, and I always tell somebody when they question why we would do that. I would say, well, if you're up around the corner and you catch the trout of a lifetime, I'm not even going to see it, and you're not, and, you're, and I'm not going to believe you when you tell me the story. <laughs> but if we're, but if we're together and we're working stream together, and one person's re-rigging a rod, while the other person's going, you're constantly thinking about what the next scenario would be. It's it, it can get in this sort of teamwork harmony and really enjoy the stream. Yeah. No doubt. Is there is there anybody else in, in you know from the music world that you've encountered that's also a, a passionate fly fisherman where you're like, no kidding, you you fish as well? Anybody that surprised you on that? Well, I, I mean, I've I've had the opportunity because I I bought this little I bought this little farm on the headwaters of the French Broad, and so I've sort of had this opportunity to invite and lure people that in the music business that I wanted to get to know better here to fish um there's a pretty long list of them but you know some of the ones you might know like jerry douglas or uh or gary pachosa who's the one of the most well-respected producers in in the bluegrass and country world um barry bales who plays bass with allison kraus uh rob mccurry mm-hmm. um that's a lot of them i just i love people and i love to share it so when people are nearby and i sense that they have interest i i try to lure them over for a trip um uh, and i recently i I recently it's not so much music but i met him through music i took stephen colbert fishing last week here and i heard uh, about that it was really cool um he just you know we played a show with steve martin and and he just texted me out of the blues vacationing nearby um but how, how yeah, did he do? Be honest. Was was he a natural? You know what? He was he was really good. He, he's a true angler. Like he got out of the car with his vest on, and and he did something that really impressed me. He was he brought his boys, two two boys, and they're in their twenties, and he let them fish almost the whole time. At one point, he pulled out a wooly booger that one of them had tied in like second grade. And I mean, he just like, he was just a great dad. He was supportive. He was netting their fish. And then in the end he fished and he did well. It was cool. That's awesome. I love hearing stories like that. I I was, I was kind of secretly hoping you'd tell me that like, you know, Dolly had shown up and had, you know, incredibly tight loops or Emmy Lou showed up and was double hauling or something, (laughs) but uh, maybe that'll come in the the years ahead. I I would love to fish with all those people. Uh, (laughs) I, I, uh, but I'll try to host whoever I can, you know, and it, it's really great to do when you can. It's that's awesome. It, it's such a, you know, it's this element that just brings people together when you when you can share that love for for being on the water. No doubt about it. Um, I want to talk more about fishing, but I, I I want to get back to what you said a minute ago about you know wearing the suits and ties. I you know I love how so many bluegrass bands and artists in in bluegrass actually dress up on stage, and I've always noticed that about the Rangers. You know, so many musicians. In, in other genres seem to go out of their way to be like extra flashy and flamboyant. You know, you got to go for the Steven Tyler or Freddie Mercury kind of look. And, and then you have bluegrass artists that, that actually get up and they play in a coat and tie. And I've always wondered about that. I mean, is this kind of a, like an ongoing tribute to people like Jimmy Martin and, and Del Mercury or, or, you know, so many bluegrass pioneers that have always cultivated that look, uh, or is it just kind of become the way things are in bluegrass these days? What's, what's the story behind that? Well, you know, I think originally, I mean, when we were in that sort of traditional vein, it was, it was 
easy to do that because lots of the other people were, like you said. I mean, Del Del McCurry, the Del McCurry band was and is probably still our favorite band and influenced our band more than any other. Um, the way they work a microphone and put it on a show and and um, the way they look and uh, sound the actual playing um but i you know i I don't i don't think that it's uh never made sense to us to look like the audience you know you didn't want to just look like you walked out out of the middle of the crowd and onto the stage and it never felt natural to like try to be flamboyant so it felt respectful to just look good and look 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 like you were you meant business. <laughs> and so for a long time, I mean, we would muscle through 90 degree sets and full suits, you know, and <laughs> we don't wear the suits anymore, you know, in the last few years, we, but we still try to um, look good. You know, some, some people we wear coats, some people wear hats. Like we try to look like we're putting on a show, you know, and not just, uh, uh, some guys who were standing around on the campground and decided to show up and play a set, you know? Um, I've always loved that about bluegrass though. Like, you know, you, you always look like you've been there before and, and you take it seriously. I love that. Absolutely. And there, in, at, when we were in the super traditional circuit, it was about respect, you know, respecting what you were doing respecting the music and, and how you're presenting yourself. That's pretty neat. I, so I got to get back to, some fishing questions for you. And I'll put you on the spot a little bit here because obviously everybody has these deep connections to their home waters. And, you know, for you, that's the, the trout streams in North Carolina, but sure. in all your travels and the other places you've been able to go, do you have some other favorite fisheries that really just kind of drew you in and that, that you still think of as, as some of your all time favorites? Yeah. You know, that, that's a, that's a hard one because you know, you, you never have a bad day fishing, right? No, there, so there's no wrong that. answer there. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's no wrong answer. Some things that jump out of, out at me, you know, and this is, this is going to seem cliche to you probably, but for me growing up in Western North Carolina, when I graduated from high school, my gift from my dad was to take me to Bozeman. And so he took me to Bozeman and we met up with this guy named Rocky Miller, who I stayed up with the whole time. He was a guide and and we fished, we floated the Yellowstone and we fished the Madison and we fished up around Ennis and the Jeffers channels. And then we fished the Bear Trap Canyon. And um, so I, I, I real, have a real fond memory of the Madison River as one of my favorite fisheries. Um, but then again, like back on the East Coast, I also love the low country. So we go down to the, our closest coast is like Charleston. So we go down there a lot, and I love to get in those those oyster flats and fish for tailing redfish in the grass. And so that's a fishery I love. And then another real bizarre one is, I don't know if a lot of people know about it, maybe they do, maybe they don't, is like outside of Reno, Nevada, the Pyramid Lake. Yeah, the long um, cutthroat. Yeah, and you fish off those ladders, and you just <laughs> – you just stand on a ladder all day. It's just so bizarre and the fish are so stunning and, and you can just catch some trophies and the unique kind of delivery of that. Um, I've had the opportunity to do it three or four times and stay in these little kind of campers on the beach. And so I love that. And, you know, so I could just go on and on, but those are three that stick out right off the top of my head. Well, how about a couple of places on the, uh, on the future wish list and, you know, destinations that you're, you know, dying to fish someday, if you could put together kind of that, that top three of places that are, that, uh, are, are soon to come. Yeah. Well, I didn't mention Alaska a minute ago. Um, I, it was, it, I've been to Alaska one time and, and I fished on the Kenai or the Kenai, the Kenai Russian confluence there and, on the Russian river campground. And I would, that needs to be back on my short list of places to go again. Um, and maybe I know I'm older now and I try to get a little more remote. Um, also, um, when we did this Australian tour, uh, last year in the fall, my son was just too young to join me. He was, uh, uh three and a half. And so it was a hard trip for my family to, to join me. And some of the guys, brought their older kids and their wives and they went to New Zealand afterwards. And New Zealand's always been a place that I've wanted to go. 
uh, and Fisher Brown Trout. Um, so those would be my next two stops if I was choosing. There you go. Well, again, there's no wrong answer. There's so many great places. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I got to I got to uh, change the topic just a little bit and, and ask you sure. about mouse fishing. And we have a, a mutual <laughs> buddy, uh, our friend Tyler, who actually introduced us. He he told me about a recent outing that the two of you had, and he sent me a photo of a ridiculously huge brown trout that he caught with you <laughs> at night on a mouse and I'm not going to, I don't want you to give away any locations or secrets or ruin anything, but you got to tell us a little bit about this nighttime uh, trophy brown trout fishery with mouse patterns. Yeah. Um, so back in March when we were, um, we, we, we were in Ireland and like I said, played a show in Dublin, lights went out, came out and my i've been living in this little barn on my property while we remodeled our house and we're moving back into our house and i felt like all i was doing i was one one minute i was on tour next minute i was just carrying boxes and all i was doing was carrying boxes for days and driving my truck from one house to the other and i feel like my and my wife and son went to bed at like nine o'clock and i was just tired of working and i was like this is like this is like second or third week of third week of March. And I was just tired of working. I said, you know what? I've always wanted to do this. I'm up, I have a nice little stretch of water here. I was like, I'm just going to go down to the river with, and I had this, you know, four inch long articulated mouse pattern. And I'm just going to go down here and smack, smack the water with it a few times and just see what happens. And I, I night fished a couple of times over in Tennessee on the Holston before. So I'd sort of knew the techniques and, I hadn't been down there 10 minutes and I had a giant fish on and a brown. And uh, so I just immediately just became my new favorite thing to do because <laughs> it's bonus hours when you have a, a young son that you really want to spend time with and a wife you want to see and things you need to do. It's, it's like free time. If you just stay up three hours later than everybody else, you got three hours of fishing and nobody knows you were gone. And so all of a sudden it's my, Favorite thing to do, I, I, I went last night. Um, and uh, Tyler, who introduced us, is a friend of one of my great fishing buddies here in Brevard. And he was in town and they called me. And I'd never really been put on the spot. It's just been something I've done with a couple of buddies with no pressure. He's like, my buddy's in town and really wants you to see if you can get him on a fish. And boy, did we get him on a fish. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that photo was unreal. It was unreal. And, and it was just, it's just a real simple technique, you know, and I, you cut your leader down to five, six feet and you, you know, you want it to be about 12 pound. So it's just different, you know, when you're trout fishing, you're using all that five and six X line, everything's real delicate. And all of a sudden at night, those big browns just seem to move around and, and, uh, we smack the, smack that fly on the water. you like, it's, it's exactly the opposite of the way you fish during the day. You don't, you want your fly to make a lot of noise when it hits the water and and then you just let it, it's sort of a down and across swing which is a slow retrieve and uh so far probably done it 20 times so far we're at least one fish per trip and each fish is a uh, um pretty incredible yeah they're creatures and, and you you look at these pieces of water and you you know, you catch nice fish during the day, but you have no idea kind of what lurks below, right? And and the the critters that come out when it gets dark, it's like a whole different game, no doubt about it. Yeah, I just love it. I, I really, we have a lot of like, we have an osprey work in the water sometimes and an eagle and the herons. And I think those big fish are just tucked away a lot during the day. And at night, they're a lot more free to move around and, and uh, looking to eat. <laughs> Well, that's that's a a pretty nice thing to have right out your back door, no doubt about it. Well, I I, I want to get back to the music for a moment. We keep jumping back and forth between fishing sure. and music, but that's that's an easy transition to keep making. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the the Steep Canyon Rangers have already a, a very established track record. I mean, on your own, you know, ten plus albums, Grammys, touring the world. I mean, major accomplishments, and and you guys have developed a huge following for the band, really from the get go. But in 2009, you guys were introduced to somebody that also kind of changed the game a little bit, the actor and comedian Steve Martin. And turns out he was a legit banjo player. And 
you know, that connection has since led to numerous side projects for you guys and brought even more fame to the band. Tell us a little bit about playing with, with Steve Martin. Yeah. You know, that was, you never know how you're going to get a break, you know, in music you want to break. As everybody says, hopefully you get a break, you know, anything you want to break, any career, you know, what, what's your break. And I just never saw that one coming. You know, we, I didn't think we we're going to get our break from a movie star slash comedian. Um, but to trace it back, because all this fishing and music is going so well together, the reason we met Steve is because I had the opportunity to guide his wife um, when I was in my early 20s, long before she was his wife. So I guided this gal and her sister and her dad, and then we stayed in touch, and she became a friend of the band, just, you know, you know how it is. You make friends on a trout stream, they're friends for life. And so she became a friend of the band. And one day she was back here in Brevard vacationing and she said, Hey, I'm in town and I'm, I'm dating Steve Martin and he's with me. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what? And <laughs> yeah, make come again? Sense to me. Yeah, exactly. I was like, he, wait, he's in Brevard. He's like, yeah. And he has his banjo. And he was wondering if, or I was wondering if you could come up with some of the guys and, and y'all could play some music. And I was just like, I'll be there. And um, so I grabbed our mandolin player, Mike Gugino, and we rode up for a simple spaghetti dinner and then a little jam session. And it was great. It was it went really seamlessly. And Steve was uh, played really well and and seemed really into how we were playing and how it was going and and. When, it, when we left that night, we did a couple pictures and I thought I'd never see him again, you know. And then my phone rang um, maybe a week later and it was him. And he was just wanted to keep keep the relationship alive. He was like, next time y'all come to New York, um, I'll come sit in if you want or I'll at least come see you. And And we just created this sort of relationship where we talked a lot. And one thing led to another. He sat in with us at our festival here in Brevard that we've been doing for a long time. And then he sat in with us at Joe's Pub in Manhattan. And then one day I was down in Charleston. My phone rang. And uh, it was his agent. And he said, yes, Steve put out a record called The Crow. That was Steve's first record when he came back out as a banjo player. And he won a Grammy with it. It's a good record. John McEwen from the Dirt Band produced it. Anyway, he said, uh, Steve wants you to be the band for the world tour. <laughs> and uh, I never even heard the words. Nobody ever spoken to me about a world tour. You know, I never, that, that sounded like something that you never hear. Sign us up. We're in. I don't care where yeah. we're going. It sounds great. I called the guys. I was like, well, we just got called to go on tour with Steve. And, um, you know, it's, it's just been a great relationship. You know, he threw out the whole thing, you know, obviously taking us – to a lot of places and playing in front of a lot of people from the white house to the Capitol lawn on the 4th of July. to all late night TV and just the world's greatest venues, red rocks and beyond. Um, he never called us his band. He always called us the steep Canyon Rangers, helped us maintain our identity and featured us prominently in the show with him leaving the stage. So he was just so generous in, um, took pride in watching us develop a fan base as we played with him. And we were, we were whooping it. So it, it went well. And he was, I mean, those shows with him in the early days were just, everybody was just on pins and needles in, including him. Cause he really didn't want this banjo thing to be a flop. He wanted it to be real. And he did an amazing job. I mean, he's a, he's a legit um, banjo player. Yeah. He's a legit banjo player. And the reason he's a legit banjo player is because he writes all of his own tunes and he is not copying anybody's styles. Like he could sit around and play Foggy Mountain Breakdown just like Earl Scruggs. I mean, not just like Earl Scruggs, but play a Scruggs style of Foggy Mountain Breakdown, but he won't. He plays Steve Martin style banjo and he plays two styles. He plays a claw hammer, which is a, without picks, sort of an open hand. And then he plays a three finger style and his writing is just unpredictable and cool and uh that was his thing too he was like we're not doing any covers if i'm gonna do this part of the deal is gonna be i'm writing it all 
and we, we luckily we collaborated on some things, which was fun for us. And we helped him edit everything that was new within our time with him. But this has been a really wonderful experience and it's not over. You know, he's, we went from just Steve and the Rangers to Steve and Edie Brickell, um, who had, you know, all those hit songs when we were younger and uh, she's uh, married to Paul Simon. So Paul was around a lot touring with us some and sort of coaching the band and the show. And then, and then now it's Steve and Martin short doing a comedy tour with sort of a side of music. Marty travels with a piano player and Steve travels with us. And it's this really fun variety show where they do a bit of comedy and then, then they do solo bits and we're part of Steve's and, and then we all do a big sort of mashup at the end. And um, so Steve Martin, I never knew that I would uh, love him so much, but he's, he's, he's a, a great musician and a really great guy to work with. Well, that, that's got to be fun as hell. <laughs> I mean, that's a, quite there, a lineup. There is no doubt. Um, and just the way, you know, I mean, for, for us, you know, like our first gig with Steve was like our, oh, our, like our third gig with Steve was Carnegie Hall, you know, and we did a couple flights with him, you know, just across the country right off the bat. And we were just like, how do we end up here? <laughs> but uh, it's got, it's got, we've gotten used to it and we, and we really enjoy working with him. Well, it's it's funny. So I have I have two young boys, and uh, they love Steve's old movies. They've been on a big dirty rotten scoundrels kick lately. They've <laughs> they've watched it, you know, nonstop. And and it was on the other night, and I said, you know, he's he's a hell of a banjo player, and he's he's a bluegrass artist. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I pulled up the video on YouTube of of you guys playing with him doing the crow, and they were kind of blown away. They're like, wow, he, he can play. And it's like, yeah, look, look, all these guys on stage could play. I mean, this is the real deal. They were, you know, they're eight and 11 and they thought that was pretty cool to see for sure. Uh, that's, that's really cool. That's really cool. Get them into bluegrass early. That's the way to do it. Oh, that it's all they hear. So they, they have no choice in this house. No doubt about it. <laughs> well, I got to ask you. So, so one of your bandmates, I think it's Nikki Sanders. Um, he, he was talking about your singing and playing style in an old video. And he talks about what he calls Woody isms that you bring to the the rangers music and i guess these woodyisms are kind of custom elements that that create your unique sound and, and lend those sounds to the band i mean is this an actual thing that you consciously think about when you're writing and playing and performing no um it's not <laughs> just happens. But, I'm, I'm, but i understand and, and i understand what he's what he's saying um it's just everybody has their own style. Like I was talking about sort of Steve's style, you know, and that was what makes him who he is. And that's what makes him stand out. And I think, you know, the way I approach, uh, vocals or, or rhythm guitar or lead guitar, or whatever I'm doing, the way I approach it is just the way I do it. And usually in music, your style is sort of dictated by, um, your limitations and it's cool. It's like, it's, it's, you, you, you just do what you do because that's how you can do it and it becomes your style and and people either like it or they don't and uh it's working for us you know um i've changed a lot in my style over the years as we've gotten older and you know a little more kind of musically mature um but yeah, I saw that video that Nikki did and when he when he said that and um I appreciated it because he has Nickyisms. <laughs> I mean when he plays when he plays the fiddle, you gotta listen to this kid play the fiddle. When he plays the fiddle, it sounds like no other fiddle player. Nobody can play the fiddle like him, but at the same time, he doesn't play the fiddle like anybody else. And so everybody sort of gets in their own their own their own space and in that space is where they can excel and and music is cool like that you know you it's it's almost like that when you're fishing with somebody everybody has their own style and well, that's what i was going to ask people, you i mean do you have right. woodyisms for fishing i mean can you apply the same oh, thing yeah. to your techniques and whether you're guiding or fishing on your own i mean obviously a a, a a woodyism we've already talked about is chasing these giant browns at night with mouse patterns in the pitch dark. But uh, what are some of your yeah. other woodyisms for fishing? Oh, you know, I I, uh, I don't I, I use only I only use ten foot rods, um, at least in mountain streams. And people think I'm crazy because these mountain streams are typically are kind of small. But I'm really tall, and I've got a 
long arm and a 10 foot rod, I feel like I can do, I can reach anywhere and I really don't have to use a lot of line. You know, I don't, you never see me doing much false casting, if any, even though I could, I could cast all day long if I wanted to, but, um, I just, I'm, I've had this technique and I don't know if it's a woodyism, but I just, I do a quick water load and then put it back in the hole and stick a, 10 foot rod out with a three foot arm. And I feel like it's, you don't even really have to use much line. You know, that's my style. But, uh, when I'm guiding, I, I carry three rods and I don't, I've seen some other guys and they don't do that. But what I do is, is I'll, I'll have a dry fly rod in the bushes and then I'll have two different nymph setups. And the minute that I think the one they're using isn't catching fish I basically tap them on the shoulder and at the end of their drifts, put another rod in their hand and take the other one out of their hand where they almost don't even have to stop moving. And then they're casting. And I just love that. And then I'm rebuilding the one that wasn't working. And I, I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoy the clockwork of that when you get into a rhythm with somebody you're fishing with and you can just hand off rods and, and, and make that happen. Now, there's a lot to be said for that rhythm, no doubt about it. Well, I got to tell you, so one of my favorite albums uh, from the Rangers is Out in the Open, which I think is 2018. You guys did that. And yep. really, every, every song on that album is amazing. Um, but there's a song, Can't Go Home, that is definitely one of my favorites. And there's, there's a, a line in there that it, the words are, I can't unsee what I've been shown. My, my body's bent and my mind is blown. And I never was ready for the things I've known. I can't find the house, but I can't go home. And it's a it's a great song. I you know, I think the song, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's a, it's about a soldier, but you could probably apply the same words to describe a life of fly fishing, no doubt about it. Well, let's talk about that song real quick. Um, you interpreted that song just the way I interpret that song. So when Graham wrote that song, I was singing it. He ended up singing it on the record, but I was singing it for a while. And uh, uh, I, I thought this is a song. I thought it was like a medic that was um, right just behind the front lines in, in a battle or traveling with the soldiers. And uh, it's about going on tour with the Grateful Dead. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally so, missed that one then. I, I, I was well, completely wrong. I, I'm with you though. And that's, that's <laughs> a beautiful thing about music is that it's what the song means to you. And I never, I almost never want to know when I, when I'm working on a song with a songwriter or if I've written a song, I don't want to share it. I don't, you don't want to reveal what it's about because you want the listener to go wherever it needs to take them and have their own, interpretation of it and sometimes when you hear what a song's about and it's not what you thought it was about it's kind of a letdown so i shouldn't have told you that but um <laughs> i had the same experience i thought it was a soldier too well I, that actually doesn't disappoint me because I, I love the dead so that right that sure. works out well that it still fits completely <laughs> well that's good well i i will say for our listeners uh that have yet to discover steep canyon rangers do yourself a favor and and download some albums learn more about woody and the band um what are some good resources woody for people that want to know more about the rangers get into your music uh figure out what you guys are up to now and and hopefully in the in the post-covid future where can they go to learn more about the band yeah, well, the, sort of all the standard places we have, we have it all. You know, we have a Facebook page, we have a, a Instagram page. Um, I know the Instagram is just at Steep Canyon Rangers. I don't do Facebook, so I'm not sure exactly, but it, I'm sure you can find it if you're on Facebook. And we have um, our steep steepcanyon.com as our website. And um, you know, we've got some new things to talk about, so it's worth checking out. We have a we have a new record coming out. Um, in October, but we're dropping the singles now. And we just released a, a, a compilation with a, a collection of our own older tunes with the Asheville Symphony and we released a live Merle Fest record. Somehow when COVID hit, we had three records in the can, which is rare. And so we had, we've had the opportunity since we've been not able to be together and be creative. We've had the opportunity to, uh, uh, release continue to release new music and that's kept us sort of excited and 
and feeling like we're being creative, even though we haven't had a chance to really get together much. But we're easy to find. Um, we're, we're sort of out there, website and steepkenny.com is, is a good place and, and your typical social media outlets. And those those two new uh, albums that are out or about to be out, North Carolina Songbook and Be Still Moses. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. North Carolina Songbook was uh, is a live uh, from Merle Fest, which is the East Coast sort of crown jewel of bluegrass Americana festivals. It's in it's a festival for named after Doc Watson's son. And then um, the Be Still Moses is a collaboration with the Asheville Symphony. So it's all of our songs with the orchestral arrangements. And uh, we have a special guest on there, Boys to Men, singing a gospel song with us, which is pretty cool. Um, and then we, and then Arm and Arm is our newest sort of all original project that's that we're dropping singles from currently. Right on. Well, everybody should check it's it out. If you, if you don't listen to the Rangers yet, do yourself a favor, uh, start downloading the music and, and you will, uh, you will be pleased. No doubt about it. Well, Woody, thank you so much for, for sitting in with us today and, and joining us on waypoints. We really appreciate it. And it's been great to hear, uh, your story. Gosh, Jim, thanks for having me. It's amazing to, uh, to talk about fly fishing and music and those two things and the way you weave them all together. It, it all, it all works well. And I'm, I'm honored to be on your show man thank you so much well you're welcome it's, it's a good fit they're easy things to weave together there's no doubt about mm-hmm. it well that's it for this episode of waypoints the podcast that is 100 dedicated to travel adventure and exploration be sure to visit yellowdogflyfishing.com to plan and research your next fishing trip sign up for newsletters and new podcasts and stay up to date on the latest travel news and developments and there is a lot of news and new developments out there happening all the time Join us for our next episode of Waypoints, and remember, life is short and no one ever regretted a life of adventure. This has been another episode of Waypoints, the podcast of fly fishing travel and adventure angling. Thank you for joining us, and be sure to visit yellowdogflyfishing.com for more trip updates, travel news, expert advice, and adventure profiles. 